0: Welcome to the Be Your Best Self podcast. My name is Becky Taylor and I'm a transformational coach dedicated to helping every individual to become and continue to be the very best version of themselves possible. Each week, I'm so incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to chat with people who have been massively influential in my life in the hope that their knowledge can in some way benefit you on your journey of transformation from who you were yesterday to who you dream of being tomorrow. On this episode i have the incredible bonnie kelly from sacramento california joining me bonnie is a certified life coach and personal development expert who when it comes to suffering has been there and done that she understands the cycle of self-sabotage because she's lived it and conquered it with no one but herself to lean on bonnie overcame a childhood characterized by physical emotional and sexual abuse however That's not enough to satisfy her vision for an epic life. She's on a mission to give the world an emotional revolution. With so much negativity and pain in the world, it can be hard for anyone to break their own cycles. After all, much of our response to pain is a learned response as we grow up watching the suffering of those around us. How does she plan to spark this revolution? Bonnie wants to give people the tools they need to turn negative conditioning into opportunities, thereby living a better and more positive life. She seeks to help 100 million people end their needless suffering by helping them get to the root cause and transform their thinking. You could probably understand why I think she's so incredible. Bonnie has already brought her message to several stages as well as the Amazon bestsellers list. She shared her strategies with numerous companies and associations, and she's also a member of the International Coach Federation, an IPEC-certified professional coach, and an Energy Index Leadership Master Practitioner. But for all that, Bonnie takes the most pride in her personal journey from victim to victory. When she's not waging war against suffering, Bonnie is outside biking, hiking, and backpacking. She can also be found hanging out by the pool, throwing a barbecue or glamping with friends. Another reason why I think this girl is so awesome. Now, I first came across Bonnie a couple of years ago when I listened to her speaking about her transformation, which she will share more detail of in this podcast. But I remember being so blown away by her resilience and determination to heal herself and then use her experience as a means to help better the lives for other people who are suffering. The podcast I first heard Bonnie on is still my favorite ever. So when she agreed to chat with me today, I was blown away. So let's not wait another second and welcome Bonnie Kelly to the show. Hey, Bonnie, thanks so much for being open to chatting today. I'm so excited and grateful for you to share your time, incredible journey and the wisdom that you've gained along the way with us today, as I have no doubt all of our listeners will be a much better version of themselves just by being immersed in your story and your knowledge and and the power of it all. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Becky. No worries. So before we get started, though, I like to ask all of my um, guests a question. And the reason for this is I find so many of my coaching clients terrified of allowing themselves to do this one thing Mm, and also mm -hmm. even more afraid of other people seeing them do it. And that one thing, believe it or not, is crying. So (laughs) if if you feel comfortable, would you mind sharing with our listeners when the last time was that you cried and why?
1: Well, being that i'm um thirty two weeks pregnant right now, <laughs> crying is something that I find myself doing a lot more of these days. I find myself being a little bit more emotionally connected. Um, I think the last time, and this may be embarrassing was at a commercial I was watching <laughs> on television uh, and it just it just really struck it was about um and i don't even have no idea what it was for, but it was about a um Uh, A mom and her daughter and her daughter was um, struggling with something and I can't even remember what the ad was for or what it was but you could see the pain in that little girl and you know it just I mean I just couldn't help it I just found myself you know as I'm entering into this new chapter of my life being a first-time mom you know just questioning those moments in my head you know of how I'm going to make this a different experience for her uh, that is so vastly different than what I've ever known and how uncharted those territory, that territory is. And so it just really brought in all these emotions about how grateful I am um, to be in such a different space and place in my life, um, mentally, emotionally, physically. Uh, so just that brief moment, you know, it it really just sparked a lot of emotion within me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And when you find yourself, when you find that emotion kicking in, like, was there a time in your life where you really struggled to allow yourself to feel that? Like, oh you? gosh, yeah, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah. Um, I I thought vulnerability equaled weakness. I thought that crying made me pathetic or weak. Um, I you know really just like prided myself on being this tough girl. Uh, I don't know if I can say the word badass, but I thought that, that I really was, you know, like I just was really had this, you know, F it attitude, really like this tough girl, like I don't need anybody, you know, and it all was just a, a mask, right? I mean, it was all just a shell and it was how I protected myself. And based on what I've experienced in my life, you know, Becky, it made perfect sense, you know, of why I would put on this thick armor uh, and not allow myself to cry or be sensitive or let things emotionally affect me. Because if that could get to me, then somebody could abuse me or use me was the perception I had. So yeah, there was a, a, a long chapter of my life where crying, you know, wasn't something that, you know, I was very in touch with. Um, being vulnerable wasn't something I was in touch with. Uh, and that's no longer the, the truth in my world
0: and we know that yeah that that's no longer the truth in your world and I admire you so much about that but for our listeners who don't know your story don't know your journey can we start you know like when you were little I guess and the environment you grew up in your parents relationship separation but also mostly you know these beliefs that get installed into us and and it's not about blaming anyone you know because I honestly believe that Everybody just does the best that they can in every given moment with what they have. Yeah. But the repercussions of these actions and these choices or sometimes it's not even choice, it's just a subconscious reactive pattern that's going on in all of us. Would you mind just starting from when you were little and sharing? Yeah. Yeah how everything fits in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is, this is my,
1: (laughs) this is my geekery right here. (laughs) This is what I love to talk about. And I love actually connecting with other people like yourself, Becky, uh, and exploring these different topics because you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, you said like it might not be your fault, right? And, and that's the truth. I mean, when we are first experienced, you know, growing up and we're innocent and, and even the people that are the culprits to the, the games that are played, the manipulation, the dysfunction that we experience, you know, a lot of times they're very unconscious. And, and if we really assess the world, you know, we're, we're very unconscious beings. I mean, all of us are habitually playing out patterns and programs that were handed down from generation to generation to generation. And so when you have dysfunctional people, raising dysfunctional people, you know, it's no wonder why you become a dysfunctional mess, you know? And so the one thing that we, you know, that I often say, and it's probably one of the most quoted aspects of my book is that it's not your fault and it's your responsibility, you know, where it's recognizing that why you do what you do, why you are struggling with not having self-worth why you are stuck in a cycle of self-sabotage, why you are feeling worthless, why you can't hold down a good job or money or relationships. Whatever that programming is, isn't your fault. However, changing it becomes our responsibility, but it can't become your responsibility until you reach a level of awareness and you have a wake-up call that says, that reminds you or even tells you that you have a choice. And as soon as you hear that, and you know that, and you can connect to that, that's when it becomes your responsibility. Up until that point, you know, you're just gonna be oblivious to it. You're going to be the victim to a victim, you know, life, right, like you are going to be victimized by a victim's life, I'm trying to say. And so it's so important, you know, if if anybody's listening, if you're hearing this for the first time and you're just waking up to this idea to recognize that it starts with realizing that you do have a choice. And so, yeah, I'm more than happy to share my story, but I wanted to make sure to highlight that aspect of what you just said, Becky, because there's so much grace and truth and power in those words.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. I love what you say, and It's also as well, it's like hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. You know, like healthy, whole people that love themselves and have this foundation of self-worth and self-esteem and confidence and value, you know, don't go around hurting people. Yeah. Like hurt people, hurt people. It's just this ripple effect that goes on, but it has to stop somewhere. Yes. Oh my gosh. It does. We are the ones that it stops with.
1: Yes. Well, it's yeah. As soon as we wake up to that truth and once we, and, and then it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of investigation, it takes hiring help you know it 's one of those things that you know you 're not going to really get to on your own because it, it means like transforming the physical way that your brain is operating. you know what I mean like if we really get geek on this right like mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a feeling you and me can get some really nerdy on this one, mm-hmm. but it 's true it 's changing the neuroplasticity of the mind. It means that we have to physically transform that which we were conditioned with that means changing not only what you believe but what you perceive and how you interpret and respond and react to situations i mean that's a huge undertaking it's a huge undertaking and it requires uh, years of dedication and commitment and falling off the horse and get back on and falling off the horse and getting back on for you to have that ability to to start to see the transformation and then the transformation eventually becomes you, mm-hmm. right? Like you become the transformer, like transformer. <laughs> you become the transformed person, right? You become that which you desire, you long to be, and that deep down inside you know you could be.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's not, the, I guess the conscious road is not the easy road, you know, like it's not. And it can feel like one step forward, two steps back, but it's the most rewarding road.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's the most rewarding road. You know, I think um, I, I love that you say that because I think a lot of people want instant gratification. Uh, or quick fixes when it comes to personal transformation. Uh, I mean, just think about it. I mean, we as consumers are gobbling up these, you know, three-day, you know, quick fixes and these, uh, you know, 21-day, you know, uh, transformers, you know, and these, you know, seven-minute apps, right? Like we want the fast solution to what is actually a much longer and more complex question, You know, and it requires us to kind of get back into having that patience, right? I mean, uh, being now that I'm 35 years old, right, like I, I laugh at the fact that none of these kids that are growing up, my daughter will never have any idea what it's like to not have internet, to not have, you know, cell phones, to not have connections, to not have any of these other, you know, things that we as children used to have to sit by the phone to wait for somebody to call. Uh, that we used to have to, you know, um, have patience, dial up internet, took forever, right? You mm-hmm. know, uh, we didn't have that instant gratification. And so, yeah, it does take time. It takes energy uh, and it takes us uh, a, a willingness to continue to to move forward to change.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's all yeah. worth it. but
1: Yes, 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 totally. I mean, as you mentioned with my story, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there is... It's hard for people to imagine, like when we look at people uh, just going through the world, we're always looking at them from the outside in and never from the inside out. And it's hard to imagine that somebody who has, you know, success or beauty or is talented or smart or um, has ever faced adversity, you know, and it could be the farthest thing from the truth.
0: And I think that's the most powerful thing about sharing Um, our story, you know, and it's not easy to do because we have to own our story before we can share it because it means being vulnerable to share it openly with people. But it makes us so relatable to people as well. You know, I had a client tell me um, a couple of weeks ago, she's like, I think it's so great because you share your story with people. And it's not like you're somebody out there who has a perfect life where everything's going great with going, you should live your life like this. Yes, you know, and it it is it gives people in the darkest days of their life, like hope, you know what I mean? Like, it's like you can then almost become that light at the end of the tunnel for that person, because it's like, oh, somebody else has been where I've been. So one, I don't feel so alone, but oh, I don't actually have to stay here. You know, I can make my way out of this.
1: And I think that was that was the number one reason why I wrote my book and I started to share my story. I mean, if I'm full transparency, I and mean, the, the truth is it wasn't easy to make that decision to start my journey in being so vulnerable. Um it made a lot of sacrifices. In fact, uh, you know, though my family you know, is very dysfunctional uh, that we still have a very functional relationship with a couple of them, right? I mean, a few of them are still on talking terms with me, but for the most part, um, you know, it really meant severing ties uh, with this illusion of family because they, they did not want to air the dirty laundry. They did not want, you know, this story, this truth that could potentially make them look like villains or make them look bad. Though my story itself has, you know, I don't do that. I mean, if you have read my book, right? Like, I do not villainize my family one bit. Uh, I do a really good job of helping people understand that it's like even though that these experiences that I've had, you know, had these tremendous impacts on you know my mental and emotional well being, that you could overcome them, and it's not about blame, but it still meant by me being willing to be vulnerable that I had to lose a lot of people. I had to lose um, that illusion. And I want to say illusion of connection uh, and that, that desperate little girl inside of me who just still longed for approval, you know, that wanted mommy and daddy to, to approve of her and to love her. And I had to finally make the decision to say like, okay, A, I'm never really going to get that, you know, like they, they're not capable of that and that's okay, right? And is it worth still telling my story? And the answer was yes, because the people that I help, the people that, you know, hear the inspiration who um, truly are changed and take it upon themselves to live an epic life, a deserving life, a worthy life that they, that they, that wasn't available to them before is, is worth that fear of loss, is worth uh, the pain of rejection to share that truth. And so, yeah, it's, it's a hard and very vulnerable place to to really speak your truth, and it's honestly the best decision you could ever make
0: mm-hmm. to free yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I said so the same thing. I'd go through all of the trauma, everything again, just to be able to help somebody else. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. All right, so let's talk a little bit about. What the lead up to you writing a book, and our listeners are probably thinking, what is going on now? <laughs> what has happened? <laughs> oh, yeah. So
1: there's it's, it's, it's a crazy to think my life was what it was to be the person I am today. And I am deeply grateful because it's allowed me to have so much depth and so to connect to people on so many levels. But um, growing up, you know, I was just a, a, a child that was just entwined, entangled in a lot of dysfunction and mess. Um, You know, I think really where it started becoming aware to me was right around about five years old. And my book starts off with this story. And it's the last moment I saw my real father uh, until I turned, you know, well, I met him once when I was 18, but I didn't really meet him again until I was 21 years old. And so at five years old, you know, he was in the military. uh, And I didn't understand that as a kid. Uh, I didn't understand why daddy was gone all the time. I didn't understand you know, where this new man was, that we all of a sudden were moving to a new state and all of a sudden we're living in this new life. And, um, and so as a child, I don't have any recollection of understanding that my mom and dad got a divorce. You know, nobody's communicating these things and that my brother and I now have a new stepfather uh, and we're not allowed to talk about our real father. And It was just so confusing as a child. And, you know, we have this moment where it must not have been a very amicable or clean divorce. (laughs) The moment where the last time I see him, my my brother and I, it's like the holiday season. We're spending time with my real dad. It's the first time we've seen him in I can't tell you how long, uh, we're, I remember we're in the kitchen, we're eating ice cream and we're, sh- we're sharing flavors with one another. And all of a sudden you can hear my dad in the other room. I mean, just screaming on the phone. He's angry. He's outside. He's like pacing back and forth. And you know, my brother and I were just like, so amused with our ice cream. Cause we were being kids, right? You know, five and six years old, like we're doing what we do. And it's like, uh, can I get your strawberry? Sure. Can I have your chocolate? Awesome. Right. <laughs> like that's where we're at. And all of a sudden within minutes, the door slams open. Yeah. My, my mother's like in just desperate tears. She's paw, like at the door screaming, my babies, my babies, get in here, get in here. And as kids, the, of course, my poor brother looks and he's like, but I'm not done with my ice cream right? Because I mean, that's where we're at as children. We don't understand what's happening. We don't understand why dad's screaming and yelling. And, you know, we have this traumatic moment of being ripped away from him and him and my stepdad, like almost fist fighting in the front yard. And we have put it in this car and you have no recollection of what's happening. And so you have these confused children that mom is trying, doing her best to try to quote unquote, protect her or us. You have a dad who is um, not understanding why he's the villain trying to, um, trying to stay in our lives. And then you have this new stepfather who's just, you know, connected to whatever my mom says. And, and you, you're just this, this crazy emotional mess. And it leaves these children with these ideas that, you know, especially as the years go on, that I must not be lovable. Like what happened? And, and of course my mom is trying to just get us to forget about it. Just forget about that he ever existed. So we had to call him Mr. Nobody from that point on. So if you imagine the psychological impact that that's having now on my brain and on me emotionally, that I don't remember this person's name, but I have to call him Mr. Nobody. We're not allowed to talk about him. When we ask, where did, where did Mr. Nobody go? He doesn't love us anymore. Now as a child, you don't hear us. What do you hear? Me. He, he doesn't love me anymore right so now all of a sudden we got these viruses is what i call it, this seed planted in your mind that it's like you're not lovable you're not worthy of love right now of course at that age you you lack the emotional and and mental comprehension or the understanding to be able to comprehend these things right we don't have the ability to perceive things beyond our own physical reality well now you you're growing up in this new life we have this new step family um, that doesn't believe in divorce you know that is treating uh, my mother and me and my brother a little bit differently than all the other kids so you have all of a sudden now you have this rejection and so that's validating Mm, you're not lovable And then you go and turning eight years old and I start getting sexually abused by a family member who tells me, of course, because what do like child like abusers do? They will make sure that they will scare you into your fault, that you will get into trouble if anybody knows about this. And so you're in a panic. You're just silent and, and you have to just take this terrifying, abusive violation Because you're afraid that if you say anything that you're not going to be loved or welcome anymore, that you will get in trouble. And then you have the sexual scandal gets exposed at 14 years old in this huge cover up that happens amongst my family where, you know, they, oh my gosh, like there's this moment, Becky, and (laughs) I'm sitting, I'm 14 years old and I am getting whooshed, like, like scooped away into an attorney's office. Now, mind you, that's terrifying. That's just terrifying for an adult to go into an attorney's office, right? And it was just my mother, my stepfather, and the, the the child abuser's wife, and this attorney in this room. And the language they're using is, you know, you don't want him, you don't want to break up his family. You don't want anyone to get into trouble, right? So all of a sudden, you're being manipulated in this situation where it's like, yeah, we understand this was a bad thing, but you, you don't want to be the reason why this causes pain. So you should sign this piece of paper that says you made it all up, that, that says you just made it all up and uh, so that they don't get in trouble.
0: And so well, in, that, sorry, in that moment, are they just saying, sign this piece of paper to say that you made it up or are they actually saying yeah. we won't believe you, but he will soften it a little bit and make out like we do, but, you know, let's not get him in trouble.
1: Yeah, well, great question. So he admitted to um, sexually abusing me one time. Okay. But only once. You know, obviously that's not the truth. Okay. Cause you know, that's, 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 well, that's just not the reality. And the truth is most abusers don't just stop at one offense, you know? And, um, but that's what he admitted to. And, and of course, as a kid, I don't, I'm in straight panic, right? So when you, emotion is flooding the body and you have just so much fear and so much panic, because the truth is in that moment, what was at risk, Becky? Wasn't, it, it was the risk of being unloved again. Mm-hmm. It was all that those seeds that were planted over these years of, of rejection, over these re- years of dysfunction, that in my heart and in my mind, there was already this belief that was wondering, are you lovable or not? Are you worthy of love? Are you even worthy? And so I have now this story that's already like, been embedded in my mind. And now I'm in a situation that could potentially validate that you're not loved So of course, right, like I'm in just panic. I'm flooded with all these emotions, these fear, right? And so all you hear is, you know, it's just you need to sign this paper. You don't feel you have a choice. You don't feel you have a voice. And so you do. And so, of course, then the abuse didn't stop. Of course, then, um, you know, you have all of these other these emotions. But this now this program activates in my mind right? It just validates because, you know, it starts telling the story that, well, if you loved me, you would have protected me. If you loved me, you would have done more. If you loved me, you would have sided with me. If you loved me, you would have, right? So now the story is really cat, like it's got its tentacles throughout my mind. And as it's launching, I need to, I need to do something that it's too overwhelming. I can't handle this pain anymore. So I turn to drugs. Mm-hmm. So right around 14 years old, I start getting a lot of trouble. I get kicked out. I'm now living on the streets. Uh, I become addicted to drugs, in and out of jail, in and out of rehab, uh, finding myself doing whatever I can to repress the pain that all of these experiences have caused me. Well, unknowns to me, right, this um, this unwillingness or this unknowingness, I should say, that of what is causing all of this pain is really these beliefs. Right. It's really this fear of these beliefs. It's this belief that I'm not enough, this belief that I'm unworthy, this belief that I'm not lovable, right? That these are operating in the subconscious mind now. These are are, are how I identify myself in a subconscious level. So these are playing out, and I'm trying to um, cope by numbing this, this out. Yet what is crazy is that then now the subconscious has two objectives at this point. It's either to validate or avoid validating itself. That's it. So now it's like, I believe these truths about myself. I know this. You cannot convince me otherwise. I know I'm unworthy. I know I'm not lovable. I know I'm not good enough. And so the brain is like, okay, we are either going to um, try to avoid situations that cause this, and that's where self-sabotage comes in, or we are attracting situations to validate this. So what kind of guys do you think I started dating? (laughs) I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. (laughs) What kind of jobs do you think that I was taking? What kind of, um, I would start school and I wouldn't finish it. I would find myself like just sabotaging my fitness, my nutrition, my finances, my relationships, right? Every aspect of my life has now been infected by these belief viruses. It's been infected. And so they, but the thing is, is like the, the, the belief is just a code. It's a program that's in my mind that's just doing what it's told. And so that's where my life started going, right? And so if you can imagine, then I spent the better part of a decade in just tremendous amount of suffering as a result of the beliefs that got installed in my mind on accident. Because the truth is my family didn't want me to feel that way, but they were do, they were making the best decisions that they could with the information that they had, And their own fear and their own programming was in their way that causes them to behave in the way that they
0: did. And that's, that's the thing, you know, and as we gain this awareness and we heal ourselves and we see these beliefs and this programming in us, we can see it in other people as well. Oh yeah. It allows us to then come from a place of compassion for them, you know, to understand, oh, okay, like, yes, okay, they made this choice, but Why did they make this choice? And if it's people who we know quite well, we we do have a fair understanding and knowledge of their experiences and potential trauma or, you know, beliefs that have been installed into them and why. Yes. You know, but then that's also then when we do become aware of it, why it's so important when we have children or before we have children to work on this stuff as well, because whatever we suppress, our kids will express Yes, you know, Like any trauma that we endure and we don't heal, we pass it down to our kids as well, whether it be things that we say to them, you know, like he doesn't love you anymore or Mr. Nobody or, you know, those sorts of things that play out or even just energetically, you know, or, mm-hmm. or physically, you know, all of these things are passed down.
1: Yeah, it's what we call generational curses, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the (laughs) the generations will be cursed with these different belief systems. Uh, In fact, I think it was, um, oh my gosh, uh, John Maxwell, who originally told this story about Thanksgiving time and uh, the family with the ham. And there was four generations that were there and they were cooking this ham. And mom cut off both ends and cut off the top and then put the ham in the oven. And and I guess the great-granddaughter said, you know, grandma, why do you do that? And in, or said to her mom, mom, why do you do that? And she's like, I don't know. Go ask your grandmother. So the little girl went to the living room and said, grandma, why does mom cut off the ham, the top and the sides? And she said, she's like, well, that's the way my mom did it. I don't know. Go ask your great grandma. So the little girl goes to the great grandma and says, great grandma, why did we cut off the top and the sides of the ham? And she said, well, back in my day, the ovens were a lot smaller. right and so you have these four generations of women who are just cutting off chunks of this ham and throwing it away because at great grandma's time frame right in her era that was how big the oven was right you had to like reduce the size of it to make it fit but nobody questions it and that's really the moral of the story is that nobody questions you know what we've been taught and really ask ourselves does this fit me is this, is this true for me? How do I feel about this, right? Is this serve my life? And when we really get to it and we really start to really examine um, our belief systems and we examine what it is that you think and believe about yourself, the world, and the people in it, and you start to really ask yourself those soulful, deep questions. is like, what do I believe? And ha- where did that come from? How is that serving me? does that serve me does it serve my soul do i want to continue to believe this and if the answer is no then we need to do the work to change that belief system because whether you know it or not that belief that is just kind of it's again a program it's like on your computer right and it's like you i'm looking at my computer right now i have all these icons in the bottom right so i have chrome and i have uh apple something i have pages i have all these things on my computer right and I, they're laying there dormant until they're activated, right? And, and you just click them, and then they get activated. Well, they're either intentionally activated or they're unconsciously triggered and activated. Well, the same is true with these belief systems, right? You will automatically start playing out what it is that you believe through how you perceive, through how you interact, through how you interpret, through how you connect with other people. And so if you're not examining where these, what programs you have, where they came from, and you don't get to what we call the root, right? The deep core and how that it, who you are, that makes the beliefs that make who you are. If you're not connecting with that, they're just automatically going to keep playing out. And so if you're repeating something in your life that doesn't serve you, maybe find yourself in the same type of relationship over and over again right? And it's not serving you or it causes you pain. If you find yourself in dead end job after dead end job, if you find your finances, you know, that you make a lot of money, then you go broke, then you make a lot of money, then you go broke. If you find your business where you have clients and you don't have clients, or you're just constantly in scarcity, right? All of these are signs. They're outward signs, outward representation of an inward crisis, And so all of it, like when we can start to look at your life like that and, and, and get away from this, you're bad, you're wrong, you suck, you're a failure, right? Get out of that. I mean, just start to take a snapshot, take a step back and just examine for a moment. Like all of these things that are happening are just programs, right? They're just programs. And some of them are viruses and some of them are infected and some of them are broken code, right? And when we think of them like that, We can get out of this place of just saying like, no, I suck because I keep repeating this thing. And it's like, no, that's not your fault, right? That is just conditioned. That's because mom and grandma had these beliefs or because, you know, you've experienced this trauma or this dysfunction or this abuse that caused you to have that belief. And so when you can start to like step away from that for a moment and start to recognize like, wait a minute, okay, this is defective programming and start to do the work to, in it, to initiate change, you can radically become a new person. You can start to consciously create not only the life, but the love and the connection with yourself and others that you long for. That little person inside of you that knows that you're made for more, that you're capable of more that little side of yourself that is just so desperately wanting to come out will finally get a chance to emerge when you do the work.
0: And so when did that little person start to come out and emerge for you? And I would just love it if you could share the story um, when you made the phone call to your dad, but the whole, if the answer was yes, can you just share that? Yes. I love it when things like this, <laughs> like the universe, you know? It's like, yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I like to joke that, you know, thank God that he's had a bigger plan for me because otherwise I wouldn't be here today. And, um, you know, if you can imagine by the time I turned 21 years old, uh, I was pretty much at my wit's end. All of these beliefs were just deeply embedded in my heart, in my soul. I had been through abusive relationship to abusive relationship. You know, I had found myself just escaping a relationship that was so dysfunctional and so abusive. I mean to give you context, right? Is that this was the if you know the gang, the Hell's Angels, mm-hmm. this was the son's president. That was my mate. Okay. My boyfriend. So I don't know if in your country, you understand that's a really bad gang. If you've seen yeah. sons of anarchy, I think you get it. Right?
0: Yeah, we've, I'm pretty sure we've got that gang here as well. I'm sure we it's, do too. It's, yep.
1: it it's that's, I mean, just high levels, high levels of dysfunction, high levels of, um, you know, just Oh, corruption and, and bad anyways. So I just escaped this. I mean, in fact, it, he kept me as a hostage for about a year. Uh, and you know, wouldn't threaten to kill me. Right. I, I, it's interesting. Cause like, if you have a fear, I didn't have a fear for my life because I didn't like my life. Right. So he threatened to kill the people around me, my friends and my family. And so that kept me prisoner for a, for quite a while. So I finally escaped from this. Uh, and, and I find myself back home. And I grew up in Michigan. I find myself back home and it's midwinter. I'm homeless. I'm broke. This ex of mine blew up my car the first time I tried to escape, right? So I have carless, jobless, homeless, um, you know, moneyless. Like I'm just living on in somebody's closet. I'm not even kidding. They don't have room for me. Uh, They didn't even have room for me on the couch. I have a fold-out mattress in a closet that I'm sleeping on. And I'm just desperately looking for work, walking in wintertime, you know, to these different appointments, trying to find, to trying to find work. And so I, I get this unlikely invitation um, to be able to become a driver for the person who had sexually abused me most of my life. And, you know, I was desperate enough to say, yes, they were going to pay $100 a day to, to be able to drive this person around. He had a stroke. And, and I was like, I was like, you know what, it's been years since i've seen this person i'm sure it's better by now total optimist over here <laughs> you know that is not going to be a bad thing and i find myself of course in a situation where i'm fighting this person off of me in a hotel room uh and now i'm at my wit's end and i'm i'm do, fi- i'm trying to find a way to commit suicide okay so 21 years old i'm at my wit's end i i just can't i can't handle life anymore i can't handle people anymore i can't handle anything and this is what, you know, you would call your broken point, right? Your breaking point. And a lot of times life and people will see you at a breaking point about six feet above where you hit yours, right? And I was mm-hmm. definitely six feet below the six feet that everybody else saw me at. So I was definitely desperate. And um, this, it's just amazing how the universe will start moving and leading cues and leading you to this. And so a very unlikely person – Uh, had suggested that he's like, when's the last time you've talked to your father? And I met him once when I was 18, my real father. And I knew he lived out in California. Uh, I didn't know anything about him. Um, And so in just a, a moment, I had a phone number in my phone. I didn't know if it was gonna be the right number. I just out of just sheer kind of not thinking about it I called that number not realizing it was like one in the morning in California right it's like 11 o'clock my time and I, I find myself panicking as the phone's ringing the answer machine picks up and all of that that unworthiness all of it just comes up, and, it, and those thoughts just start invading your mind. says, Bonnie, you cannot burden him with your problems. You are too much of a mess. Just end it. You're done. But by the p- time my brain caught up to reality, the answering machine had already finished. So I felt panicked to have to say something. So in that moment of just sheer kind of panic, I said, hey, it's, it's Bonnie, um, your, your daughter. I, I just was calling to see how the weather was. I hope all is well. And I hung up the phone, right? Unknowns to me, okay, my real father had been preparing for this moment for a decade. See, 10 years before this phone call came in, you know, well, I should say before that, losing his children sent him down a deep personal development path, right? He went through, he tried to solve his problems through a bottle of Jack Daniels for a while and realized that that wasn't going to work. And so then he just dove into personal development and then eventually became a personal development teacher himself. And he he became very attracted to Native American rituals, you know, going, uh, following, I guess we have Cherokee in our blood. Um, so going to the reservations, learning from them, learning how to be a shaman, energy healing, all of this stuff. He just started exploring, seeking answers. He was desperately seeking answers to understand the pain that he felt. And, you know, he gets into this moment where uh, he's in what is called a vision quest where it's like a week where you're out in the middle of wilderness. All you have is water, no food, and you're in a roped off section. And so you have no contact to the world. And on the last day, the native American chief comes running up to him and he says, Jim, 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 uh, I had a vision. And my dad's like, what is it? He said, one day, one of your children is going to call and you have to know the answer is yes. And my dad's like, great. Which kid? (laughs) And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, what's the question? And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, when is it going to happen? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> my dad's like, this is a stupid vision. <laughs> it's like, okay, there's going to be a phone call. and need to know the answer is yes. That's all he knows. The only context. Now, mind you, flash forward this moment, right? Is like, I'm 21 years old. He had already met me once. That moment hasn't came up. He had already met my brother. In that moment hadn't came up. Right. So he's still longing for this moment, you know, and he's already had connection with us. And this is what I mean about patience, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets this random phone call about the weather at one in the moment and intuitively, spiritually, he knows this is the moment. So he, without me, you know, he's in California. He turns to his, um, his girlfriend at the time and he, he says, I think she's going to want to move here. Would that be okay with you? And, and she says, yes. So now he calls me back. Now I'm pretty, per, I'm pretty much at a point where I've already found a way to kill myself. Right. I'm, I, so the phone ringing pissed me off and I didn't answer it and it rang again and I didn't answer it. And then it rang a third time and I answered it. It was like, what? Cause I'm so mad that this person is disrupting my suicide. Right. Like I'm <laughs> like, I was just, It's just in that space. And, uh, and he's like, Hey, it's, it's Jim. And I was like, Oh, Hey. Uh, and I was like, sorry for bugging you. I just, you know, just hadn't talked to you in a while. I figured I'd say hi. And so within about a minute and a half, he was not having any of that. He, he says, you know, if it makes it, he, I don't like pink elephants in a room. He's like, if it makes it easier for you to ask, if you know, the answer to your question is already, yes. Would you finally ask it? And muddled out of my mouth was, can I move to California? Now I, I, I couldn't believe that that came out of my mouth. And he said, the answer is already yes. And within an hour, we had plans. I had $300 to my name that I got paid uh, for driving this cuckoo cocoa puffs around. And so I got to take that money and I bought a one-way ticket to California and I started my transformation. And when I came here, thank goodness that he had been studying personal development for so long because I came in as a hot mess a resentful, angry, um, feisty, young hoodlum that just oh, like never dealt with any of the pain and kind of blamed him for a lot of it. And, you know, he was ready for that. And it set me on a journey uh, and started poking into the brain. And it wasn't until I realized that it's like, wait a minute, I have a choice. I don't have to be miserable as when it finally started taking toll for me.
0: And so what were the biggest things, like if people are sort of in a similar situation to you? And one thing I wanted to talk about as well is Mm -hmm. these beliefs of not being lovable, not being good enough, not being worthy, you know, that are installed into us don't necessarily have to come from, say, sexual abuse or violence or anything like that. It can come from, like, really small, tiny moments in time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, No, it can come from your parents, you know, um, just your older brother,
1: for example, just did better in school than you did. So he, or he just never got in as much trouble or that they, so the perception was that he's better than me. They like him more than me, right? That could generate these beliefs. It could be as simple as, you know, um, you, you struggled with something like athletically. And so like, you just have this belief that just says that you suck at sports or you suck at music. And so you never touch an instrument again, right? I mean, it could be, to any degree, and like mine were, I would say on a scale of one to 10, mine were an 11, right? I mean, because they had so much dysfunction and so much abuse to work through. But I know people that I've worked with and that people that I've connected with that have 15s on the scale of abuse, you know, and then I've worked with people that have ones and twos. It doesn't matter how big that virus is. It's a virus. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it on your computer, right? I mean, if it slows you down in the slightest, don't you think it's worth change, like resolving it and changing it. And the answer is yes. And it could be very specific too, Becky. It could be very targeted to only or limited to, to only relationships or only mm-hmm. money or only business or only self-confidence or food and diet, right? Like it could be very targeted as well. You might have the rest of your life is awesome. And this one area you suck, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that could be because that that belief is just attached itself to that particular realm in your world. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It doesn't have to be all encompassing. It doesn't have to be on a scale of one to 10, 10. It could be, you know, a nuisance and it could be very targeted in your life as well.
0: Yeah, because I just wanted people to, um, because there's a lot of people, like a lot of clients that I work with, it, it comes back to this foundation, you know, it's the lack of self love and worth and, and those sorts of things, but they're confused. Cause it's like, but I don't really have any trauma as such like any obvious yeah. trauma, but I still feel this way. So I know some people might be confused by that. Um, and so we're, okay. So we're here and we're like, all right, all right, hold on a minute. Like them start having these realizations. I have yeah. a choice. What are the what are some main things that people can do that you would recommend when they're willing and ready, open, willing and ready to make a change, to take responsibility? Okay. What's the most important things do you think for people to do? Where's a good place for them to start?
1: Right, um, you know. I love that you, you've you read my book. I, I, I'm not to, to self-plug that, but honestly, like that's going to be a great area for people to start because it's going to not only untangle these stories, and the reason why the stories are there is because when you have had trauma, we allow that trauma to become the mask or the excuse of why we can't change, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why those are all exposed there. But it doesn't matter, like you said, if uh, you've had a dysfunctional past or you had good parents. I mean, your good parents could still have been operating on some kind of dysfunctional programming that is installed in you. It could have not even been your parents. You could have got it from school, from siblings, from society, from um, cousins. There's so many things that could could influence and create these belief systems. And we want that belief that you are worthy to be at a 10, not that you are unworthy at a 1, right? I mean, even at that 1, it's like it's it's robbing you of your happiness and it's robbing you of your joy. So that's a great reference point because it's going to not only really help break this down in such a simplistic way, right? There's no real fluff in the book, which is great, but then it also gives you a how-to, right? It's going to give you the book, uh, the workbook. But if I just wanted to sum it up for this, you know, I really, because I've been asked this question a lot, you know, I've done you know, dozens of interviews and, and, and one of the things that it's really, I've realized it kind of comes down to these three steps and it is root, release, resolve. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that you have to get to the root Okay, so that means we have to take a look at, step back from our life, and we have to evaluate what isn't serving us, what isn't working, where am I, quote, unquote, failing, right? Where uh, am I struggling? Where do I have pain? Where am I unhappy? And we just look at all the different realms, all the areas of your life, from your personal to your relationship to yourself, your relationship with others, uh, finances, work, passion, career, all of that. And so when we take a look at that, we start to identify, keep specific areas that, you know, that you want to see improvement in. From here, we need to get to the root. We need to really go beyond the mask, beyond the excuses, beyond the outer layers. That means getting off the blame, shame, complain train, okay? (laughs) If you're riding on the blame, shame, and complain train, you're going to crazy town, right? That's not not the train you want to be on. So we need to take a step off of the train. And that means that, like, yes, that person might have influenced some of this pain. That person might have contributed to this pain. But let's look at our part, right? This is where getting to the root means you have to take emotional responsibility, mental and emotional responsibility to how you might have participated to that situation. Now, here's my disclaimer. As a child, right, you're an innocent bystander. As an adult, you've contributed. Mm-hmm. You might not be aware of how you contributed, and, it's, and you might only be 1%, and the other person is 99% the contributor, mm-hmm. but you still contributed to some degree, and that's a hard thing to look at. But then also, then we have to look at, okay, how did I participate, and what was the purpose of that participation? Like, what, what, what was its goal? What was it serving, right? And what we realize is that a lot of times, these are our self-protection mechanisms that are playing out that are causing us to, um, to, to play out these scenarios where we're withdrawn, or we're sabotaging in a very subtle way, uh, and that we're attracting certain types of people that are going to uh, validate our old belief systems, right? So we start to recognize that once we get to the root, oh my gosh, I'm still feeling I'm not good enough, and this is how I played a role in that, in that validating itself. Once we get to the root, Okay, so once you've identified these core beliefs, once you've identified your, your role in participation, once you've identified the purpose of the game you've played, now we can go to the release. The release is where people have the hardest time because, you know, like you were talking early on in this, in this interview, and you were talking about having compassion for those who have hurt us, mm-hmm. right? That means that's actually in the state of resolve right there, right? Mm-hmm. But to get to that place where you can be there, we have to release this story. We have to release these perceptions. We have to release this, um, the hurt and the anger. And we do that through forgiveness. But we also do that through acceptance. Mm -hmm. But here's the other disclaimer. Accepting does not equal acceptable. Mm -hmm. Okay? So it's where I had to come to this place where I had to accept that I was a child of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. I'd accept that I can't change that that's part of my story it doesn't make it right it's not acceptable that that happened it's not acceptable that my parents were in a state of fear and panic and they were making decisions to try to cover it up because they thought that that was better than what could come as a result of it being exposed right so I have to accept that that's how it was handled I can't change it I have no time machine I can't go back but it doesn't make it right so, so accepting and forgiving isn't about letting people off the hook. It's not about condoning their behavior. It's not about pardoning or excusing. It's about you releasing the trapped emotions and the pain that has held you prisoner in your mind for decades. It's about your willingness to have a better life, period. Mm -hmm. And it seems counterproductive because anybody who has experienced pain in their life, or even if you're the one that's caused pain, Mm -hmm. okay, you're going to have resistance to that releasing phase, but you can never get to the resolve. And the resolve means is where you have made a, 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 a absolute commitment to knowing that you're enough, to knowing that you're worthy, to knowing that you have a choice in these things and to, and to be resolved with the new story that you consciously are choosing to tell the new belief systems that you consciously are creating the new life that you are consciously creating that's resolve but you can't get there until we really get to the root until we really release the story and attachment the programs and behaviors and then we get to the resolve place where you can be fully resolved
0: in how you live your new life and what does that look like for you now
1: I have an awesome life, Becky, <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's why that commercial made me cry, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, just a deep state of gratitude, and you know, I don't know if it's the hormones lately or what, um, but I've just been, a, I mean, I'm always in a pretty good state of gratitude, but I have an amazing relationship. My husband is spectacular. Uh, We just moved into a wonderful neighborhood. I have built multiple six-figure income businesses. I get to go around the world in helping people change their life. I get to write. I get to speak. Um, I get to just live this life that I've created. And it doesn't mean that there's still not dysfunctional people in my life because they are. I'm related to a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But the difference is now is that they don't affect me you know, in the way that they used to, cause they don't have the control that they used to because I don't believe what I used to. And so my life is um, I like to think it's pretty magical. Uh, and so now I get to bring a little girl into this world and show her really what magic looks like. So it's amazing. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> and, um, and
0: so if people are wanting to contact you, reach out to you, follow you, whatever, where can they find you? Instagram, web, Facebook,
1: Oh, I'm everywhere. Facebook and Instagram, you can find me, uh, Bonnie Kelly is if you actually just Google Bonnie Kelly, you're gonna find me. I I think we show up in the first three pages of Google awesome. (laughs) My team did a good job with that. Um, But also bonniekelly.me is my website. That's where you can find more about my books, my programs. Uh, We are always serving. Um, We do a lot of speaking. Um, We do a lot of traveling. So women's retreats, workshops, classes, I mean, online classes. We have tons of free content. It's just insane how much free content we have. So um, yeah, I mean, whatever you're working through, I mean, you can find us even on YouTube. I mean, there's 300 and I think. 65 videos on there if you want to learn some different ways to change your mind it's called mind right mondays right um so there are just
0: a a dozen ways that you can connect with us and i'll share all those links in the notes as well and um, one thing before we finished what's what's one thing everyone can do every day to be the best them Ooh, great question. And honestly, I'm going
1: to give the answer that most of you are like, well, gosh, really? Is it that simple? And the answer is yes. Uh, if you can spend at least five minutes a day in a state of gratitude, mm-hmm. that simple, right? It, is, it has such an impact on you on a molecular level on a physical level, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level. Because what it's going to do is it takes you out of this place where you're focused on what's wrong in your life, what's missing in your life, right? And so it goes against the grain because it's our brains are just designed to want to avoid pain. So guess what it's always focused on? Mm-hmm. Pain, mm-hmm. right? It's like what, it's trying to avoid it, but by focusing on it, it creates more of it. And so we have to train and condition our minds to focus on something that's just counterintuitive, that is like, okay, yes, this isn't working, but I'm so thankful that I have the eyes to see this. I'm so thankful that I have the ears to listen to this. I'm so thankful for this cup of coffee so I can get up this morning, right? I'm so thankful for my health. I'm so thankful for whatever. And it doesn't have to be these huge things, right? It could be these little things that you could be super deeply grateful for. And what you're going to find is like that simple habit is going to just allow the space it's going to allow the room for so many other great things to come into your world and so you know it's not rocket science i mean that's not like some giant epiphany but it's hopefully a really solid reminder um
0: of how simple uh of an action can have such a big impact i couldn't agree with you more i've actually got a private facebook group um daily gratitude practice group and where we just post something if members feel comfortable to share then they post something they're grateful for each day and I love it because as soon as one person posts something then it's like it just starts like yeah you know and then it it sort of um yeah prompts everybody else to do it then too and it it just shifts our whole state of being
1: yes yeah
0: yeah totally Oh, thank you so much, Bonnie. I so appreciate your time today and squeezing in. I know you're extremely busy. Um, And as I said before, I just admire you so much, your courage and your strength and your determination. And now, you know, to turn your journey of trauma and pain and heartache into something to serve the world and help others. And I think that's what life's about. You know, we have these experiences for a reason as horrific as they Ah, you know we can turn our lives around and and help to create make the world a better place to be you a definite yeah so thank you so much awesome thanks so much becky have a great day you too how incredible was that if you want to hear more episodes like this please subscribe via itunes and feel free to follow me on facebook by searching becky taylor transformational coach and that's spelled b-e-c-k-i-e or my website is beckytaylor.com. Have an amazing day. Keep shining bright. Infinite love and gratitude.